Blog Talk Radio. This is Know It All. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Many thanks to D.C. High School student Trayvon for our theme music. We aim to make you, our listeners, know-it-alls about education law, policy, and practice that affect you. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or at any time from your computer. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I'm a civil rights attorney with a focus on equity and public education. Keep up with me on my website at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Today we're talking about education reform. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Andre Perry to the show. Dr. Perry is the former head of a charter school network in New Orleans. He is currently a professor at Loyola University in New Orleans and a regular commentator on issues relating to education in New Orleans and nationally. Dr. Perry is the author of The Garden Path, The Miseducation of a City, a novel based in reality. Good morning, Dr. Perry. Welcome to Know It All. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. So can we first talk about the title of the book, The the Garden Path? I took to mean that, you know, someone is being deceived, somebody is being misled. Yeah. And Miseducation of a City, I immediately, of course, think of Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro. What does it all mean? How did you decide on the title? Yeah, um, first of all, I want, again, thank you for having me, but um, I've been involved in school reform, particularly since, Um, Hurricane Katrina, and as you know, education reform is seen as the the civil rights or some, uh, um, I say it's the civil rights issue of our generation, and um, in that it's seen as the the big hope for change um, in our communities. Um, And so we've invested a great deal of money, time, resources, policy, um, changes in the law to advocate for specific types of, of policy and specific types of reform. And so we're going down this road or this path. And um, I'm not necessarily sure that it's the correct road to take, in particular, standard-based and um, this account uh, standard based era and this accountability era that we're in, in which um, testing and um, standard based curriculums are um, all the, the rave. So the um, so the title clearly suggests I think we're um, not necessarily being misled, but um, I don't I don't necessarily think we know what the end goal is that we know what the bigger vision of education, and certainly um, the miseducation of a city is a nod to one of the greatest educators of all time, Carter G. So, um, and I released it during Black History Month, so I I, I wanted to pay homage to the, the folks who came before me. So there you have it. Well, I I thoroughly enjoyed the book, um, and 
it is set in post-Katrina New Orleans with the fictitious Joseph Rainey High School as its epicenter. Who was Joseph Rainey, and what is the significance of naming the school after him? Oh, well, I don't know if people know. There were um, several um, black senators and representatives representatives, um, during Reconstruction, and um, Joseph Rainey um, is one of uh, was one of those um, elected officials. And so, as um, a lot of people don't know, Louisiana had um, a black governor, um, several black representatives, uh, senators, after, uh, during Reconstruction. And so, um, I wanted to, I mean, there's a theme around self-determination that, um, that flows throughout the text. And um, and if when you read the book, you will see sort of my feeling that one of the central goals of a, of a of an education, particularly a public one, is to develop um, self-reliant, culturally um, responsible communities, and and that's been a goal um, um, since uh, Reconstruction, since many groups like um, the American Missionary Association and even some of the industrialists funded some of the early um, schools uh, dedicated to the formerly enslaved. And so I wanted to sort of um, show hints of that theme of, um, in, this co- in this case, black empowerment, black um, representation in, in terms of elected um, uh, representation as well as symbolic representation in in schools. Uh, this and but more importantly, um, it I, I do believe that we should create self-reliant communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the parallels between um, what's happening in New Orleans and what has happened in New Orleans and uh, what is happening elsewhere are um really stark and um you know i'm i'm here in washington dc where education reform and um you know as you call it the, the hydra of the reform movement charter schools have really taken hold and there are so many uh charter schools here in dc um you know and and often in this conversation about education reform you hear talk about public charter versus traditional public schools and local community members versus outsiders moving into the community and um, black people versus white people. How are these discussions distracting from what should be taking place in schools, and is is that intentional? Is it by design? Well, you know, I, I do think that there is a, um, a bit of... Um, of a myopic vision of education and current reforms that I don't know if it's um, created a, de- a design um, with the intention to dissuade some of these larger goals, but it, it is a design to say that uh, we can move um, individuals through schools and measure it um, using test scores and um, the consequence will be better communities 
and um, a better overall society. Um, but the, you know, the overarching vision for a good education includes a lot of things that involve not only schools, but transportation, housing, um, 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 crime-free neighborhoods, recreation, museums, libraries, um, lots of different um, things that constitute a, a good education. And so this notion that we can school our way through to a better society is, is incomplete um, in, in my mind. Um, but it's also incomplete when you look at the legacy of um, African-American education, particularly since Reconstruction. It is always about citizenship and creating good people. And I think, um, and, and what's happened here recently, if, if folks have been paying attention a little bit to the news, but I know that it, it's not getting as much attention as it deserves, that we recently had a mass shooting in New Orleans in which a charter school graduate and college enrollee, um, along with his brother, shot in a crowd and of paraders doing a second line, which is a tradition here in um, New Orleans, and, sh and it ended up hurting and injuring uh, 19 people. And I brought that up because um, I think we can make um, people smarter technically, but not necessarily make communities more equitable. equitable. We can make people smarter by test scores and not necessarily give them jobs. We can make um, individuals, uh, we can show gains on t um, test scores, but not show gains in income and um, quality of life and all these other things. And I think that's w the problem with our current reform is that it's, it's it's um, not really looking at the bigger picture of what we ultimately want from um, individuals and society. And if we really look at what we um, are, are really um, moving towards uh, um, the greater vision, we then we can see that it's not going to be just schools or um, a quote-unquote rigorous curriculum that will get us to that ultimate vision. You know, um, thinking about that, we just celebrated the 59th anniversary of Brown versus Board of Education, um, mm -hmm. and that opinion was was a victory in the sense that it was a unanimous Supreme Court opinion, um, which one year before, in 1953, would not have been possible, and and it was a victory in the sense that now there was federal law saying that separate but equal schools are un unconstitutional. Um, but I think in the education reform conversations, as you've pointed out, we've lost sight of our larger goal, um, or, or goals plural. And, I, you know, the, the black educators and other grassroots activists who made Brown possible um, were themselves black professionals who were dedicated to creating a um or or cultivating in children um a love of learning and um creating children in their own image and i think we we have lost sight of that larger goal um why do you think that it is 
um, that diversity and integration have taken a backseat to other conversations of of standardized testing and common core curriculum and things like that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it, in large part because we have not seen, um, in some, particularly in poor urban neighborhoods, um, the reciprocation from um, the larger community to integrate um, or the want to integrate and um, and to have the public schools um, look like the public. And so a lot of folks have given up on that notion that we should have schools, regardless of your race, gender, religious affiliation or non-religious affiliation, um, where people are learning under um, the framework of the Constitution to um, develop Americans. And, um, and now it is based on more merit in um, workforce development. And so people, in, in large part, have given up on some of these very basic democratic principles. Um, folks feel that um, they should compete for the best education and the, the people who deserve um, a certain um, amount or um, who have achieved certain levels of education should get the best jobs. And, um, and the rest of this stuff is fluff or um, wishful thinking um, or for the social scientists and social philosophers to discuss. Um, and, you know, for me, um, again, it, it goes back to the point of education. We are not supposed to improve schools. Um, the goal of an education is to have schools help improve a community. And so when you take a education-based achievement or merit-based approach, the larger goals of a community take a back seat. And I think for the, um, for the most part, people are investing in their kids' um, um, education at higher rates now more than they ever have with hopes that they can participate in the high-skill economy, and that's necessary. I would not want my child, uh, my children, to not be able to participate in that economy. But no one is looking at, okay, why is it that a person um, who has done all that he or she um, can do or um, um, done at a sufficient level, um, why does this person make so much less than someone else? Um, um, should it be that are there some basic communal goods that we all should enjoy as American citizens? And we sort of just um, stopped um, uh, um, asking those deeper questions. And for me, um, I think it, 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 it's still at the heart of why we're here. We always have to ask, you know, what are what are schools for? What are jobs for? What are um, um, libraries for? Um, they are not just for, and they are not just individual goods. Um, we have an ultimate democratic um, goal and mission, and that is to work and play and worship and um, 
and struggle together as a larger community. And if our educational institutions are contributing um, to stratification, to separation, to segregation, then they are not good enough. And I don't care um, how much um, um, we um, evolve as an economy, there are still some basic communal goods that we have to prioritize as higher. And all those things, um, the economy matters, individual goals matters, but community matters as well. And I think, you know, that linking um, community success to the success of the nation and um, being able to demonstrate that this country needs for communities to thrive um, and and that cannot happen if if we are so focused on individual student success um, and and merit based instruction and, and other things and there there is a love story that you tell in your book that really kind of bridges um, the 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 local community to some of the national reform um, discussion um, and. It, it's not the main love story that we see developing, but it, it is one that, that brings about um, a more surprising ideological unific unification. Will you talk about the broader significance of that relationship? Yeah, you know, I think that there's always been divisions or um, there's always been different philosophical um, um, points of view on how to Educate a child. I mean, the ultimate debate is the boys versus Booker T. I mean, that's the ultimate education debate. No If you are in any education program, any graduate program, you analyze that debate. And it, but it, it, and it's bigger than a liberal arts versus um, an industry-based education. It, 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 it's also a metaphor for there are different perspectives that should work in sync, and we should have different philosophies working in the same time, but they should be working towards the needs of that child, children, community. And so I have um, various um, uh, strange bedfellows coming together um, at a critical period of time, um, to protect children and to protect schools um, because I think, at least in the black community, and I think this is true for many ethnic communities, there are, there are times we can put our different philosophical um, approaches aside or at least find common ground when our children are under attack. And I, I, I don't think we've been able to build bridge those um, bridge between ethnicities and classes, um, but at least in, in in my context and in my book, the black community, you have very different. Old, old, you have old school versus new school. Um, the, the folks coming together because I think at the end of the day, we still, particularly black educators, rely on the legacy of. Um, the, that I that the aforementioned le legacy that I said earlier, 
and that is to produce citizens. And um, and when we keep that in mind, we can say, hey, yeah, I need. Um, you can work with folks who say, I need this kid to to pass the test and to get a job, and and those who want to see a more um, a, a, a citizen whose critical think uh, critical thinking skills are high and not necessarily um, um, an education that supports a certain racial or social hierarchy. And so those folks can come together, and they do come together. And I think in my book there are moments where I try to um, bring strange um, bedfellows together. And a, a, um, a, a consistent theme of your book is compassion and cooperation, um, and that that really resonates with me personally, but, but also just in the larger scheme as we think about New Orleans and D.C. schools and, and other urban centers that are experiencing some of these tremendous reform efforts. I think compassion and cooperation are so, they're so important. Um, and one of the relationships that really embodies that that theme is the relationship between Professor Isaac Boyd, one of the main characters in the book, and Lauren Wise, another main character in the book. Um, Professor Boyd is um, has a background that's very similar to yours. He's not from New Orleans, but he identifies with the people of New Orleans and connects right away with the culture. Um, Lauren Wise is the is a high school student, and you juxtaposed Dr. Boyd with Lauren Wise, and um, you know both are black and both are fighting for some kind of freedom. Lauren is a student, and he's pushing back against a reform movement that is um, adult led. And often, I would say, you know, bulldozes students and families. And uh, Dr. Boyd is an adult pushing from within the system. Uh, will you talk about that juxtaposition and, and why it was important to you to present these two as the protagonists? Yeah, because, um, one, you know, we forget that um, I, I think teachers often forget that one that um they're not these authoritative beings in the classroom they're they're living in the same um social political story as the children mm-hmm. that they are all part we are all part of the same struggle and when we can make our lessons in the classroom reflect our shared experience then we can see how it's not just about teaching a lesson. It's about m- moving on a journey together towards freedom, towards truth, towards goodness. And I think um, the protagonist, um, um, Lauren and, and, and Wise, I mean, uh, Lauren and Boyd, um, they... And they understand their connection, and um, and even though um, the the teacher in this case may not be, or the the ed leader may not be from the same community, he or she may be um, part of a a shared struggle, and so um, 
you know, Dr. Boyd understands this and, um, and, and Lauren Wise understands this, and they, um, they use the curriculum um, to work together towards, some, um, towards truth, towards understanding, towards goodness. And, um, and that's important because um, oftentimes you'll see teachers not really connect um, with their students, or they'll have sort of a halfway connection of pity um, where they say, hey, I want you to do better, but um, I don't really connect with you in the same way. And, you know, for me, that's, you know, hogwash that when you live in a community, you you are sharing a destiny together. And so teachers aren't teaching just for the sake of that kid and that kid's future. You're teaching to learn. You're teaching for the betterment of your own future. You're teaching for the betterment of their community. And so you have to see the bigger picture. You have to see the larger goal. Or um, you're really just teaching for the betterment of yourself or for your own um, um, small vision of what's good for that kid. And, and, and... and then, and it's on the scale, on the continuum of good. It's it's good, but it's certainly not where you want to be ultimately. You really, um, in the book, you really touch on all of the stakeholders in education, or many of the stakeholders in education, and you explore everyone's role in distracting from the real issues facing our children in school and. Um, you know, in the book, you have parents pushing back about school uniforms, about gift giving in school, uh, even about fried chicken. Um, yeah. And you have reformers who are coming into the schools, who are these outsiders coming into the community, and um, you know they're putting not yet signs on the backs of children who have misbehaved. Um, and then you have the the black resistors who are on the constant defensive, but also who have their flaws. So, you know, they don't have um, – the the leadership doesn't have children in the schools, and um, the, the resistors don't have a concrete alternative plan. Will you talk about this um, desire of grown people for – discipline and order, which you contrast very nicely with the desire for uh, the adults to indulge their own uh, dysfunction through the children in the schools. Yeah, you know, I and, and first of all, all the, the storylines in the book are, are real storylines. You know, I, I mean, it's, I mean, if you know me, I'm I'm represented mightily in, in, in the book, and I really wanted to give readers an inside perspective of what goes on in meetings, um, the discussions between leaders and the discussions between students. I interviewed students and um, fictionalized their names, but you know every character um, um, is based on a real person, but in in per, uh, what pertains uh, when in, in pertaining to the discipline issue, um, it was it, it's one of the weirdest things um, in that you go in. Well, I went in thinking, hey, that parents one 
and leaders um, didn't want in my in, 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 didn't want these sort of um, limitations on clothing and um, um, walking in on on white lines to maintain order and this sort of militaristic style of um, discipline or very punitive style of discipline. However, when I got in, um, I found that teachers, leaders, and parents um, often advocated for these very um, stereotypical, well, I I think uh, what we perceive goes on in a Catholic school from the 1950s. You know, it's this sort of... um, we have an image of a ruler swatting none, um, walking around, maintaining order, and we want um, this weird um, cohesion. But I think uh, the main difference is um, in a Catholic school, it's more about joining into a sort of a Catholic tradition Whereas in the public school is often this quest for um, um, purging these unruly students of their lack of home training. And you literally have to beat it out of them. And um, it's very different approaches. And neither I agree with, but, you know, the, sort of, the, the latter is certainly dangerous in that it assumes that these students don't bring order and discipline to the table. And for me growing up, uh, discipline meant playing the cello every day. Discipline meant repetition. It meant um, 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 practice. It didn't necessarily mean punishment. Um, And so I think in today's schools, you find folks projecting their own um, misguided perceptions of students and their families onto the kids by creating these, you know, extreme um, forms of of, of, of of disciplinary standards, and um, they just don't make sense. If you're a college prep program, where in what college do I know? Maybe a military academy. Do you walk in lines? I mean, I, I, I've never seen it where you're not allowed to give gifts, where you're not, um, where um, you know you can walk through a school and it's eerily silent. Um, these, you know, th- these are not. Um, this is not a good part of a good curriculum, um, and it, it, it is based on this notion that we need to squeeze out the bad culture of kids. Now, certainly education is about changing people's worldview and their life. We all, we, that is part of it. But you can't start with the assumption that, that students are, um, crudely stated, are bad and their, their family um, situations are bad because um, you end up creating a very... Um, punitive um, behavioral program um, that is very 
um, separate from a, a, a classic um, belief that um, of, of the independent learner and the independent thinker. And um, that hypocrisy is clear when you walk in on some of our schools. You know, we say we want individuals who can think critically, but, man, you, we, we, we show that if you step out of line, then you will be punished. Those, we can't have that dichotomy. We have got to use more behavior, um, positive behavioral approaches to, um, to adjusting behavior. And the goal should be to create classrooms where folks can learn, not to create classrooms where you can hear a pin drop. So um, I, it's subtle, and you'll hear, and I've received tons of pushback from teachers who say that um, how, how else are you going to instill order? But my goal is if we did, um, my, if we did not have an accountability system that um, demanded results now and did not work and does not work on the longitudinal ultimate goals of a um, of a child and of a community, then you're you're not allowing for that type of longitudinal um, that type of developmental approach to occur. You just won't allow it. And, you know, historically we've seen this type of, um, you know, cultural erasure before um, with the schools that were operated by the federal and are operated by the federal government, specifically for Native American populations, um, where Native American children were, you know, taken from their homes and placed in these academies that then stripped them of, their language, strip them of their culture, and, um, you know, in the name of discipline and order. um, And the whole goal there was control. Um, And the whole um, purpose was to stamp out um, what what had been deemed a threatening culture um, or a, a culture that is uh, potentially could potentially overtake um, mainstream white culture. So we have we have walked this road before, um, and it is really stark. The, the schools that you talk about that have the white lines, and the children have to walk on those white lines in the hallways and with their hands behind their backs, and um, it's a very prison-like environment as compared to. Um, you know, private schools and more privileged schools where uh, discipline is, as you say, where, where children are practicing um, musical instruments every day and they are, um, you know, being taught appropriate behaviors uh, in a very healthy way. Um, and so the notion that children who live in poor urban communities need a different type of education than any other child um, we certainly have seen that before, and we certainly know where that leads, and it leads to devastation of community. Um, and and yeah, the goal I mean, is control. Yeah, I mean, it's in. I mean, I think if we all took the perspective that n- there's no one culture that has a 
leg up on um, another in a sense of we are the uh, the embodiment of of a civilized um, society. No one does. We all need scrubbing. We all need adjustments. We all need changes. Um, there are differences clearly in those with means and those without in terms of outcomes. But this notion that um, from, the, I mean, that goes back to, uh, you know, the uh, aboriginal folks in Australia, to the Native Americans, to African Americans in this country, to um, Asian Americans, um, and, and during, particularly during certain periods of time, to even other ethnic groups, um, uh, um, um, other European ethnic groups. This notion that we can um, modify your behavior to, to this um, ideal, this cultural ideal, it only hurts people, and, um, and and it robs them of their sense of home, their sense of self. Um, the goal is not to to create these sort of cafe au lait beige communities to allow folks to discover themselves and who they are, and um, and to give individuals and communities a sense that we are always becoming something. Um, we're always changing. We all, but we do have roots that um, that are distinct. But we're always growing. We're always changing. Um, and the, but there is always this sense of um, this group, however, needs to act more like another. And um, that's just misguided. That's and it's and it's simplistic and. Um, but it is an approach that undergirds a lot of the discipline practices in our school. Mm-hmm. So The Garden Path is the first of three books? Yeah. And when can we expect two and three? Yeah, I'm almost, I mean, I'm really finished with the second, so um, it, we're, we're going to do something interesting with the second. Um, in terms of the electronic format, there'll be very an interactive component. You know, I like uh, playing with curriculum stuff and making sure kids can have access to it. And there will be workbooks and um, just a lot of interactive classroom stuff you can do with it for adults and for children. Um, so we're trying to iron out those, but uh, within the year it's going to be released. So folks um, um, who are interested in following um, um, two characters, Lauren and Couture, actually three, and this kid uh, named Clarence, the first book covers them in ninth and 10th grade, the second book, 11th and 12th, and the third book um, when they're in college. And so collectively it looks at the high school to college experience. Wonderful. So we have um, a lot of um, philosoph- uh, sort of a, it's like a philosophy of education text in a fiction, a piece of fiction. So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily say one perspective is worse than the other. I mean, I think some people can get a sense of my leaning. But I really try to raise questions 
more than saying this is bad or this is good. So folks who read it, um, they generally feel I touch on the various sides of an issue. Um, and because and it's, I really try to um, interview folks um, on the various um, side, or the various points of the continuum, and I think people are hearing those sides in in the story. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly what I appreciated about the book is that you know you really you did well to treat equally all sides of every debate related to education reform, and in a way that was also entertaining and fun. Um, you know, so I, I really love this book. Um, Dr. Andre Perry is a professor at Loyola University in New Orleans and the author of The Garden Path, The Miseducation of a City. His website is www.drandreperry.com. That's drandreperry.com. And you can find him on Twitter. Dr. Perry, I have to share with you one comment from uh, the chat room from Adrian Williams thanking you for reminding us of the definition of discipline. So, and I want to thank you for being a guest on the show today. Hey, um, anytime. Invite me back. All right. You are now officially certified know-it-alls about the distractions in education reform. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week.